Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Hello, my friendly low. Welcome to Lovely Las Vegas. We're coast to coast with myself, Greg Hughes, and now part of the Houston Family Podcast. And got a great podcast for you. It's in the second segment. I am going to be talking a little bit about why I don't necessarily dive into the futures market and want a lot of you guys as cool. I think is going to be in my final four. I really don't give you guys an answer. I do think that there's a lot of variables when it comes to gauging college basketball. I take every game as its own living, breathing entity. I do think that a lot of this is determined by matchups. So I'm going to be diving into why I wind up taking a little bit more of that approach in the second segment. And I will say here at the forefront as well, I'm not saying that betting on futures by any stretch of the imagination is bad. I know that a lot of you guys make a lot of money off of it. I'm just going to give a little bit more of my side of things. So I think that it's very important to get different perspectives. So I'm just going to be lending mine in the second segment since I've had a lot of you guys ask that with regards to Twitter questions. And if you do ever have a question, comment, segment, idea, whatever you for this podcast, you've got one of two ways. First one is my Twitter timeline at JaronScorty1. Keep in mind, letters DM. They mean it does not matter. As per usual, please do send these into the timeline. And the other way is via an Apple Podcast review if you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated from there. You're able to find whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five-star review. And then in the final segment, I'm going to give you guys picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this college basketball Friday as we hit some bank shots. And by the way, I said I was in lovely Las Vegas. I'm actually out here in the great state of Wisconsin, so... That is a boo-boo on my part. I'm actually out here for a wedding. So on Friday, you're going to be noticing that I'm going to be putting out just a lot of stuff a little bit earlier. And when it comes to Saturday podcast, it is going to be a little bit more pre-recorded. So I just want to give you guys a little bit of a heads up there. But how about if we wind up taking a look at everything that we wind up seeing on Thursdays? We'll be hitting the mailbag in the second segment. Try to find some trends and try to get to know these seems a little bit better. A games from yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the rowdy recap. How about if we lead off with something I just don't don't think I've ever seen before. You wound up seeing Southern Miss lose by 19 points in overtime. UTSA won by kind of 98 to 79 as they outscored Southern Miss 22 to 3 in overtime. I mean, I've seen teams lose by like 14 or 15 points in overtime. I can't remember necessarily seeing something where a team lost by 19 points in overtime. So thoughts and prayers if you were on Southern Miss in this one. This was just terrible as UTSA winds up going 15 of 32 from three-point range. Not necessarily one in which you've got a demonstrative trend or anything like that. I just thought it was worth leading off with because I'm looking down at my screen and I'm just sitting here saying what in the world wound up happening here. So hopefully you guys appreciated a little bit of lightheartedness to be able to lead this one off. But you do take a look at what we wound up seeing out of some of these top 25 teams and you wound up seeing the Michigan Wolverines, a team that Want to begin the season in the top 25 and since falling off, they got a big win on the road against Iowa by a count of 84 to 79. Iowa really not playing a lot of defense right now. They've been a top five team to the over in all of college basketball as well as you take a look at this Iowa team. And if you've been betting on their overs, you've been making yourself a lot of money as this is a bunch that they now find themselves at 
18 overs, 6 unders, and a push. The only team that's been more profitable to the over is Bowling Green. And for Iowa, just 4 of 18 from 3-point range. Michigan, they went just 4 of 20, but they did a great job down low. Uh, their 42 two-point shots, they wanted to make it 27 of them. Hunter Dickinson was actually a little bit more pedestrian in this game. 14 points, 9 boards is solid, but Musa Diabate was really who took it over. 28 points for him, and then Keegan Murray did his part for Iowa. 23 points, 7 boards for Iowa. They wind up losing the rebound battle by kind of 40 to 37, and neither team could hit their threes, and that actually voted very well for Michigan, Penn State. They take down Minnesota in a game in which both of these teams were playing each other for the second time in the span of seven days. 67-46 with Minnesota. They do a good job of being able to take care of the ball. Only eight turnovers in this game, but they wound up going 17-53 of 53 from the floor. 5-11 of 11 at the free line. You just have a team that they play too slowly and they don't have enough options, so if something goes wrong, like you wound up seeing in this game, that would be Penn State winning the rebound battle 36-26. to 26. They are just unable to be able to correct it. When it comes to other highly ranked teams. You do wind up seeing Murray say, take it to Austin P by kind of 91 to 56. Austin P actually entered the night the top under team in all of college basketball. That title now belongs to UC Irvine. That was just a fourth over this season for Austin P and the Governors. Well, they allowed Murray State to be able to shoot 64% from the floor. KJ Williams, 25.7 rebounds. Murray State looking very dominant as a big favorite and being able to get it done there. Central Florida, they wound up being an underdog of about 13 and a half points and they were unable to cover against Houston. They wind up losing by kind of seven to 52 in this one. You had Central Florida score a grand total of five points in the first nine minutes of the game, so that was not necessarily too terrific. And for Central Florida, they were down one point with 12 minutes remaining, and then you know, end up having Houston go on a nice burner run for there for Houston. They are a team that they don't necessarily shoot it well from the free throw line, went 11 15 in this game, but where they really hurt this Central Florida team is by winning the rebound battle 47 to 38 for Central Florida, just 8 of 26 from three point range, 10 of 19 at the free line in Houston. They've been dealing with a lot of injuries, but Kyler Edwards has been a constant for the team, very nearly at a triple double. 10 points, 9 boards, 7 assists for him. Eastern Illinois has been another very good under team in college basketball this season. And for Eastern Illinois, they wound up playing a game in which it did wind up going over the total. Belmont, a 27 point favorite, just unable to quite cover this big of a number. You've now got Eastern Illinois having played 7 overs and 18 unders 81 to 57 the final for Belmont. They wound up having a nice performance out of Nick Muzinski. He was able to give the team 19 points, 6 boards and for Eastern Illinois. They did go 6 of 14 from 3 point range but they wound up having 17 turnovers with 24 made buckets so that was not necessarily too terrific out there. What else has been pretty terrific to take a look at is everything that we've been getting with regards to some of these strange pack 12 teams. Oregon State, they go on the road and they get a cover against Arizona. I thought that they went maybe a little bit too far with the spread at 23 and a half, but Arizona, they're able to get the job done by kind of 83 to 69 and we have seen a couple of rough starts for Arizona recently. You saw that in the game against Washington. They then went on a big giant run from there and he did wind up seeing this game die quite a bit. For those of you guys with the total of 152 and a half, boy oh boy, thoughts and prayers to you because this was a game which you wound up seeing a grand total of 15 points in the final 620. So that was a little bit brutal for Oregon State. They did go 8 of 22 for three point range in Arizona, just 4 of 18 from three. It shows just how lethal this offense can be even when they aren't firing all cylinders. You saw Christian Coloco give you 16 points, 9 rebounds, and Arizona still a relatively handle win, just not a game that they were able to cover against the spread. I 
I'm doing this ahead of USC versus Washington going final because, well, I am out here in Wisconsin, so a little bit of a time shift there for me. But in other games that were very intriguing, in my opinion, you did wind up seeing Hawaii be able to take down UC San Diego by a count of 65-53. to 53. Hawaii has actually been one of your better against the spread teams that ever since San Diego was able to get that win against Cal. Certainly has not necessarily been going their way. The best team in all of college basketball with regards to against the spread record, that would actually be Middle Tennessee. And for Middle Tennessee, they go on the road. They get the job done against Florida National as a four-point favorite, 71-65. to So they're now 75-1 against the spread. Jacksonville, they also were able to get a cover. They're now 17-5 and against the spread. So these teams are even up with that aspect. And for Middle Tennessee, a team that began the year shooting relatively rough from three-point range. Another rough one in this one, 8-28 of 28 from three-point range. But they did a good job forcing Florida National into 20 turnovers, despite the fact that Middle Tennessee does not have a single guy that averages more than five rebounds per game. They certainly have been able to get the job done in all aspects. Towson, they have been a very good cover team at 18 and 8 against the spread. They were in action on Thursday and they were able to win and cover against a UNC Wilmington team that going into this week they had covered 14 out of their last 15 games. Now it's been a little bit tougher for Wilmington the last two games as this was one that Towson wound up taking by kind of 79 to 55 for Towson, 9 of 18 from three point range. They did wind up committing 16 turnovers in this game, but every one of their scores scored in double figures. And when it comes to Wilmington, 3 of 19 from three point range. So they have fallen back to earth a little bit. You've got a Wilmington team that they've went on a nice run. They certainly have proven that they're better than they were at the beginning of the season, but they don't necessarily do one thing great. A team that has been very great against the spread, that'd be St. Mary's. St. Mary's able to get the job done 69-64 to 64 against San Francisco as about a three-point favorite. You've noticed that San Francisco has been a little bit shakier recently having that loss a little bit over a week ago against Portland. That was not necessarily too terrific, and for St. Mary's, even though they are a team that they're in the bottom 20 with regards to possessions per game, they've been able to put up points themselves. They did a nice job inside the arc as they wound up going 21 of 40 on their two-point shots. Wound up getting 22 points. Uh, Tommy Cousy who chipped in there at 6 of 6. Six rebounds as well and for San Francisco, Khalil Shabazz was able to give the team 22 points in this one but for San Francisco just 9 to 29 from three-point range and St. Mary's doing a good job of right now forcing quite a few turnovers. Portland has been a very pleasant surprise and they wound up getting another very nice win. They're now 16 and 8 against the spread. They take down San Diego 92 to 60. So even the teams not named Gonzaga have been quite profitable for you out there in the West Coast Conference and Portland shooting over 80% of the free line. They go 13 of 14 at the charity stripe. So got to give them a lot of love when it comes to teams that have not been able to make you money this season. Pacific has been the worst against the spread team in all of college basketball. Fortunately, they did not wind up taking the floor on Thursday, but a team that did wind up taking the floor and a team that was not able to get it done once again. That would be CSU Bakersfield. They go on the road. They lose to UC Riverside by a count of 79-69. to 69. Notable in this game is that both of these teams have been two of the slower ones in all of college basketball. And you saw a little bit of an eruption with Riverside going 9-20 from 3 point range. Bakersfield only went 1-6 of six from 3 and shot 14-14 of 14 at the free throw line. Yet wound up losing by 10 because they wound up losing the rebound battle as you've got a Bakersfield team that now you do have one double-digit score in Jordan McCall was able to give the team 25 points but really past that. It's a team of just a little bit of misfit parts at this point. Another team that has not been good against the spread. That would be also out there in Conference USA. You've got Middle Tennessee, one of your best cover teams. Marshall's been one of your worst cover teams, but as a two-point favorite, they got done against Old Dominion, 67-63. to Back-to-back covers for Marshall after they were really starting out the year really, really bad, by the way. Oregon State with the cover. They wind up going to 6-17-1 against the spread. So despite the fact that they covered on Thursday, they're still in the bottom 10 in all of college basketball with regards to 
recovery when it comes to this Marshall team. They were able to go 10 of 26 from three-point range. Big for a team that they're shooting about 28% for distance, just eight turnovers in this one. They wound up losing the rebound battle to Old Dominion by kind of 46 to 38, but did a good job of being able to guard the three-point arc against Old Dominion, holding them to three of 14 from distance. So that was a very encouraging sign. And what else is very encouraging as well is if you're taking a look at some of the best over teams in all of college basketball and noticing them just continuing their ways of playing airbrained games. You've been seeing this with Sacred Art quite a bit recently. Among their games, they've had 16 overs, 8 unders, and a push. And what you wound up seeing from them on Thursday was another relatively high-scoring game. Wagner, they were able to get the job done and was able to cover the 8-point spread as Wagner got a 76-67 win. This was a total of 142 that barely wound up being able to get over for Wagner. You do want to be noting that they've been dealing with a little bit of an injury to Elijah Ford, so keep that in mind moving forward with this team. But Sacred Art now in the bottom 30 with regards to points allowed on a per-possession basis, so that certainly has been worth noting because they're a team that uh, just have not been the same on defense this year that they have been in past years. UAB, the Blazers, have been one of your top over teams in all of college basketball as well. 16 over, 7 unders, and a push. And it's a team that they are one of the better teams with regards to points allowed on a per-possession basis last year, by the way. They were actually in the top five with regards to defensive efficiency. No question, they're not necessarily the same this season as UAB more around 35th, but that's still really sinking good, and they took down Rice by kind of 92 to 68. We give our Ode to Lane Kiffin for Rice. Goal says you wind up having UAB go 8 of 20 from three point range. 58.5% from floor UAB. Last year, they were good on defense. This year, they're still solid, but they've really been able to pump up that offense. And for Ice, they lose this game despite going 9 of 23 from three-point range because they were forced into 16 turnovers by UAB team. That they've been generating right around 10.5 steals per game, so they've been doing a great job of being able to turn defense into offense. And when it comes to what we're seeing in college basketball right now, we've been noticing that home underdogs have been coming on to a little bit of a rough stretch. 57, 71, and 4 against the spread in the last 7 days. Meanwhile, you've seen a lot of overs in the last seven days as well. 189 overs, 168 unders. So I do expect a little bit of reversal. I expect some home underdogs coming here in the next few days. I do expect to see a couple more unders, overall unders for the last 30 days. The so last month of college basketball, relatively 50-50. 777 overs, 774 unders with a couple games pending as I record this in home underdogs in the science fan. 273, 280, and 9 against the spread. So I do think that you're going to see a little bit more of that as well. And coming up next, like I said, I'm going to be diving into the Twitter mailbag. I've had a lot of you guys ask me for my final four as of right now, why I don't wind up doing features, and we're going to be diving a little bit more into this topic next, right here on Coast to Coast Hoops with myself, Craig Peterson. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer.
This show slash podcast is brought to you by BetterHelp. And over at BetterHelp, they're helping you try to be able to ease up on your life a little bit more because I'm sure that you, much like myself, wish you had a little bit more time on your hands, whether that be to pursue a hobby. I myself could use a little bit of sleep as I've been handicapping about like 300 games a week and you're not able to get a lot of sleep when you're working that much. So hopefully you appreciate it on this podcast. But that said... Therapy can be exactly what you need to be able to get a little bit more time on your hands to pursue exactly what you love. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It is entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched up with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time at no additional charge. Learn what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Coast today. That's C-O-A-S-T to be able to get 10% off through your first month. That is BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Coast. And we're back here in lovely Las Vegas with Coast to Coast Hoops with myself, Greg Hoops, and now part of the Beeson family of podcasts. And I know that's something that I've been asked quite frequently on my Twitter feed at GNRSquirty1 is why I really don't dive into futures, who's my final four right now, and a big reason why, and I'm just going to sum it up right here, and this is not to say that if you wind up doing futures, if you wind up giving out your way too early final four or anything like that, that there's anything wrong with it. It's just giving you guys a little bit of background as to where I wind up coming from, and let's be honest here, I am having a little bit of a tough time with regards to guess with right now being in the great state of Wisconsin, a little bit more crunch for time, so I figured that this would be a good time to be able to air out this topic. I was sort of saving it for a rainy day, and well, it might be actually a little bit of a snowy day out here in the great state of Wisconsin in this February, but with that said, big reason why I don't wind up diving into futures is because so many things are very matchup dependent. I always get asked, who's my final four? Who's the top four teams in all of college basketball? The list goes on and on, and it's one of these things where I take the boxing mentality of matchups make fights. Like, for instance, Kentucky is absolutely amazing. They are, in my opinion, a top five team in all of college basketball with regards to raw power rankings, but I wound up fading them against Tennessee a few days ago because I thought that Tennessee matched up with them very well. They were dealing with an injury to Ty Ty Washington. I thought that if they could just play even close to even up on the glass with Oscar Sheway being able to get his, that they'd be able to get the job done. Tennessee is a team that they do a good job of being able to generate turnovers, and lo and behold, that wound up being the case. You also want to be noting that with regards to the NCAA tournament, though these games all wind up getting played on a neutral court, some courts are a little bit more neutral than others. You do find this time and time again when it comes to the draw in which a team is playing like 100 miles away from home and they're playing against a team that they want to going from like the state of California and now all of a sudden they have to go out east. That's never necessarily an easy situation for teams like that and I can tell you right now from having just flown from Las Vegas to Wisconsin that does take a little bit of something out of you and many of you guys that you do a lot of flying can probably relate to that as well. Picture that being an 18 to a 23 year old kid and also, when it comes to what you're able to get in March Madness as well, you just don't want your bet being torpedoed by something that's a little bit out of your control. Now, the good news is it seems like a lot of these COVID pauses with these universities, guys being ruled out due to COVID, that has really died down from what we wound up seeing in December slash January. So that's a very good sign. But who knows if that winds up rearing its ugly head, it winds up coming back. And you want to have a little bit more protection. What I would recommend doing rather than futures is a little bit of something I like to call a money line 
rollover, a money line parlay is what some people call it. I always like to call it a little bit more of a rollover because I'm not one for parlays. And it's where you wind up taking one unit on the money line of the team that you want to win the NCAA tournament that you think might make the Final Four as well. You can do it for pretty much anything. Odds to be able to make the Sweet 16, odds to be able to make the Elite Day. What you do is you just put one unit on the money line of the team that you like to be able to go far in the NCAA tournament. You think that they're going to be able to survive and advance in that round, and then you just wind up taking it and continuing to roll it over and over and over. Let's say that you start out with $100, and the team in the first round is even money to be able to win. Obviously, if you're taking a little bit more of a favorite, then you're not going to be even money on the money line, but I'm just doing this for simplicity's sake. You wind up taking $100, you wind up then getting back your original 100 and you've got an extra 100 at your disposal. So after that win, you wind up having 200. Let's say in the next round, there are plus $2 on the money line. So you wind up placing a $200 bet. You wind up getting back 400 if you wind up taking that money line rollover. So now you've won two games and all of a sudden your $100 has become $600. And now you can continue to roll it over. You can utilize that $600, put it on the money line once again at whatever price you'd like. Or you could just walk away from the table with your winnings. As we know with regards to college basketball futures. You really don't have many short shots or anything really lower than 6-1 to one other than Gonzaga, but you do have a lot of teams that they're right around like that 12-1 to one range. You're going to be finding a couple 10-1s. Right now, for instance, I just pulled off DraftKings. Kansas is like 15-1. to one. Duke is like 13-1. to one. And if you wind up taking this approach, I don't know if you'll get quite the same payout, but at the same time, you're going to get a lot more protection if Kansas winds up getting like a doomsday scenario against a team like a Texas Tech that has played them very difficultly. If you wind up hoping that they're going to be not facing off against Gonzaga and they do wind up facing off against Gonzaga you're able to say okay we've won a few bets here with Kansas I'm able to walk away from the table with my winnings and that is some way that you're able to take a look at this and also a big reason why I don't want to jump to conclusions when it comes to just gauging my top teams giving out my way too early final four as well as that you do wind up having situations in which conference tournaments do take a lot out of teams. We've noticed that teams that they wind up going either very, very deep or not very far at all in their conference tournaments, they do seem to be a little bit more vulnerable to a early round upset. Maybe you wind up having a little bit of an injury when it comes to that conference tournament as well. I always think that that's so important to take a look at going into the NCAA tournament. There's a lot of different variables that wind up coming into play when it comes to taking a look at college basketball futures. I am not someone that dives into the spear personally because I've got also so many things to take a look at from a game-by-game game perspective. Having a wedding out here in Wisconsin on Friday, I'm doing a little bit of an earlier deep dive on everything in college basketball for Saturday, getting that all prepared. I'm going to be pounding out that podcast here in the next few hours, and that is going to be a very, very long grind for me. And I can tell you right now, I've got just so much money that is going to be able to be made slash lost with regards to all these games. We're going to have north of 140 on Saturday that for me, it's not even worth necessarily my time taking a look at college basketball futures. I don't want to be taking a look at hypotheticals. I don't want to have to try to put on my Colombo raincoat and try to decipher everything in college basketball because I know what I've got right out here in front of me. Just being able to take it game by game for me is a little bit more profitable. So that's where I come from personally when it comes to not necessarily doing college basketball futures. And like I said, if you wind up doing them, there is absolutely nothing wrong with that whatsoever. It is a situation in which it is to each their own. It's just a big reason why I don't necessarily dive into it. It's a big reason why I'm not going to get 
give a way too early Final Four because I do think that there are way too many variables to try to sift through in order to do so. So hopefully you guys enjoyed this explanation. I'm always happy to dive into things and topics like this. So if you ever have one for this podcast, you can hit me up on Twitter at GUnit underscore 81, or you can leave an Apple podcast review, rate this podcast five stars. It is very much appreciated. And then from there, I am more than willing to dive into whatever you'd like to hear on this fine podcast. And coming up next, it is that time of the podcast to give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this college basketball Friday as we hit some bank shots. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Oh, such a clutch pickup, Dave. I know, right? I was worried we'd bring back the same team. Oh, no, I meant those blackout motorized shades. MVP of the room. Blinds.com made it crazy affordable to replace our old blinds. Hard to install? No, it's easy. Even you could do it. Nice. I installed these and then got some for my mom, too. What, you fly across the country to do the install? Nope. Blinds.com can do it all. All she had to do was pick what she wanted. She talked to a design consultant for free and scheduled a professional measure and install. Look at you, Hall of Fame son. Oh, I just picked the winning team. They're the number one online retailer of custom window coverings in the world. Oh, Blinds.com is the GOAT. The GOAT. He shoots. He scores. Go to Blinds.com for 40% off site-wide and a 100% satisfaction guarantee. Go right now for 40% off site-wide at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. And we're back here in lovely Las Vegas for Ghost Ghost Hoops with myself, Greg Hoops Sears, and now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. We're guest-free today. Wound up just giving you guys a little bit on why I don't necessarily dive into the futures market. Hopefully, you guys maybe picked up a little bit of something with my rolling parlay theory slash money line rollover. I think that it is something that is interesting to be able to take a look at. Hopefully, you guys get a little bit of something different with that. Like I said, if you wind up betting on futures, absolutely no qualms about that. There's no one set right way to be able to do it. I just have my style because it's what's really worked for me, and I'm just is someone that wants to be able to keep things day to day and I'm not necessarily one for diving into it because of all the variables so hopefully you guys got a little bit of a different perspective and maybe it could either help you or reaffirm your position as well which that's what we're all about here so hopefully you guys enjoyed that now it is that time of the podcast to give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this college basketball Friday as we hit some bank shots most financial establishments close at a certain time but not here it is time for a side and total on every game on today's betting board bank shots. 
Do note that as per usual, any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at Jaren's41. Going in Las Vegas rotation order, this is pretty much going to be time order. The reason why I go in Las Vegas rotation order is because when you wind up coming out to lovely Las Vegas, instead of saying, oh, I would like to bet on St. John's, for instance, you would instead give the rotation number of 866. So that's a big reason why we wind up doing it in this order. And with that said as well, this is also a situation which it's relatively in time order. Typically, when you wind up having games with six digits on the rotation, those would be at the bottom. We don't have any of those. Those are typically games that involve teams from like the SWAC, the MEAC, smaller conferences. So let's get started with 865, 866 on the betting board. Butler hits the road face off against St. John's. St. John's between a nine and nine and a half point favorite in your Toronto game. In between 140 and 141, you wound up seeing these two teams do battle. A few weeks ago, St. John's was down throughout much of that game against Butler. They were able to come back and get the job done. I do think that they're going to be able to take it to Butler in this spot. I wound up setting St. John's as a 10.5 point favorite. Now you've got Julian Chepeni and Pasha Alexander good to go for the St. John's team. This team has been a very good duo whenever they have been out there. You've got these guys giving you combined 33 points, 10.5 boards, with Champagne is able to shoot 34.5% for 377 percent the charity stripe now St. John's is a team that they're able to generate right around 9.2 steals per game these guys they combine to be able to give you just under four and a half Dylan Adiwusu he's been solid as well nine points four boards 4.3 assists a little bit of a steal per game but the real godsend for the team has been Aaron Wheeler Wheeler is wheeling and dealing he's been able to give the team at least 11 points in each out of the last five games has really been able to light it up with at least 10 points and now 11 out of the last 12 and then for Butler but a little bit of tough slotting down low for the team Paul Hodges has come off of injury and he's actually looking relatively solid for the team. Not necessarily a prolific score, but a guy that is able to give you six and a half boards, go along to eight and a half points per game. Chuck Harris has been able to shoot about 32% for three, 78% the free throw line for a Belder team that Shoots about 70.5% at the free throw line, 32% from three-point range. Bryce Golden's able to give you 9.5 points per game, but really, other than Bryce Enzius, he's able to give the same six boards per game outside of Hodges. You don't have a single guy that's able to give you more than four rebounds per game. I will say this, if you take a look at the advanced analytics, Butler has been its most efficient on offense in this past month, rather than the rest of the entirety of the season. Butler was able to put up north of 80 points in that game against Marquette, so they've been able to improve a little bit on that end. They have also been declining a little bit on defense, I do think that St. John's going to be able to get a little bit more of their style in this game. I did wind up saying the solo at a 142.5 as well. I'm looking at the over last time these two teams wound up playing. It was 75-72 with St. John's going just 2 of 16 from 3-point range. So I do think that the Johnny going to be able to get the job done as I made them also a 10.5 point favorite. So, laying the points to taking a look at the over. 867, 868 on the bang board. Yale's going to be playing us a pen. The Quakers are a 4.5 point underdog. Total scheme is 8-14, 144.5 and 145. Set Yale as a five-point favorite, so going to be one to lay it. When it comes to Yale, this has been a team that, well, let's call it what it is. They've been struggling on defense. They're outside the top 200 with regards to points allowed on a per-possession basis, but they do have a guy in Azir Swain who's really been able to headline the team. 19 points, four boards. Now, the fact that he leads the team with 1.8 assists per game, that is a little bit tough, but at the same time, Penn, you don't have a single guy on this team that is able to give you more than three and a half assists per game. You have had a pair of guys in Max Marks along with Clark Sager. Both of these guys give you 10 points per game, but let's call it what it is. The guy that really makes this team go is Jordan Dingle. 20 points, two and a half assists per game. He's been able to shoot 36% from three-point range, a little bit north of 80% at the free line, so he certainly has been able to get the job done for this team. You do take a look at this Penn team. You don't necessarily have a ton of rebounding with Martz. He's able to give you five rebounds per game. He's been really leading the way. You were hoping for a little bit more out of Michael Wong, but he has not been able to get healthy for this team, and it is a Yale team that even though they don't necessarily have a ton of options around Azir Swain, you do have Jalen Gibbeton, who's been able to give you 11.5 points per game. He's a guy that at home has been able to shoot 41% from three-point range, and 
He has been able to do a solid job recently for this team. You take a look at Yale. It's a team that they've throughout the season been able to get a little bit better with regards to their defensive efficiency as well. Penn is just a team that it hasn't necessarily clicked for them as they've given up at least 68 points before their last five games. The last time these two teams wound up playing, it was Yale who wound up losing to Penn by a count of 76 to 68. Yale in that game wound up going 3 of 19 for 3 point range on Penn. They themselves went 5 of 26 from 3 point range, but Penn had just 6 turnovers in this game. I do think that you're going to see a few more turnovers out of Penn in this spot. I think that Yale going to be able to have their way with this. I think that you're going to get another high scoring game because I did think that both of these teams shoot better from distance. Set this out on 147. I'm going over and with Yale willing to lay up to five with them. 869, 870 on the bang board. Detroit is going to be playing us in Northern Kentucky. The Norths are a one and a half point underdog. Your tallest game is anywhere between 137 and 137 half. They wind up saying my total at a 139 with Detroit. This is a team that they actually rank at the bottom 50 with regards to possessions per game. But you also take a look at this Detroit team and they are just giving up points of plenty in terms of the 358 D1 teams, in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, Detroit is 304th. Northern Kentucky is not necessarily a stalwart on defense, but 142nd. That's a little bit more appealing, and I'm going to take them on the money line because when it comes to this Detroit team, they might be without one of their top scorers in Madhu Asech. He's been able to give you 13.5 points, 8 boards per game. This has been a Detroit team that without him on the floor, their offensive and defensive efficiency both wind up dipping. You've also got on the flip side... For this Northern Kentucky team, a guy that's able to do a solid job down low in Adrian Nelson, who's been able to give you seven half rebounds per game. When it comes to Northern Kentucky, you've got to love what you've been able to get out of your backcourt trio, really, and Trayvon Faulkner, Sam Vincent, along with Marquise Warwick. These three guys have been able to combine for a little bit over 41 points per game. Vincent, three and a half assists, 2.1 seals per game. All three of these guys shoot it relatively solidly from three-point range. Faulkner, high water mark at 38.8% from distance. With Northern Kentucky, they do turn the ball over 13 times per game, but they also generate nine and a half seals per game. Now, when it comes to this Detroit team, the guy that really headlines things is Antoine Davis, 23 and a half points, five assists, a guy that at home is right now shooting 50% from three, but keep in mind a little bit of a small sample size with that one. Has been a little bit all over the place with regards to turnovers, a combined 12 in the last three games. Now DJ turned it up, Harvey. This guy's been able to do a much better job recently for this Detroit team. He's given the team at least 10 points in each of the last six games. Able to shoot 38% from three-point range. Noah Waterman is a guy that's in six foot nine. He's been able to bury about 35% of his threes to try as a whole. They shoot 78%. The charity stripe 37% from three, but I just don't think that they're going to be able to get a stop, and I think that Northern Kentucky wins this game from within. So, taking a look at Northern Kentucky on the money line, set them as a one-point favorite. Made my total 139. I do think that you wind up getting some late-game fouling, so going over as well. 871, 872 on the betting board. You've got a rider, and they're going to be in the road to face off against Monmouth. Monmouth is finding themselves as an 8.5-point favorite. Your total is saying 136 half and 137. Set my total at 137.5. I'm going to go over. Now, Monmouth has been playing about two-thirds of their games to the under so far this season, but I think that you've gotten down a little bit too low in this spot, and Ryder has been a team that has been able to execute late. You take a look at this bunch, and all of a sudden, they've been able to get on a streak of winning five out of their last six games. When it comes to Ryder, Demencio Vaughn, along with Dwight Murray Jr., they're able to give you 25.5 points per game. They're able to chip in there a little bit over 14 boards. Murray is able to give you 4.5 assists. Vaughn right around two seals per contest. Neither of these guys should have great from three-point range. Ryder has a collective 31.6% from the outside, but both of these guys should at least 76% free throw line. And for this Ryder team, each of your top four scores should at least 76% at the charity strike. You've got Ajiri Oguamo Johnson, who's able to give you six half boards per game as well. And then when it comes to Bomba, it has been a team that 
has been relying upon their backcourt duo of Shavar Reynolds coupled with George Pappas, but Reynolds has been dealing with a little bit of an ailment. He has been out the last few games. If he does wind up playing in this game, he's going to be hobbled, so it's going to be Pappas along with Walker Miller who's going to need to really lead this team. These two guys do combine for about 30 and a half points, a little bit over 12 rebounds, and both of these gentlemen should have all the free throw line. They combine to shoot about 80%. Pappas shoots 35% from three for a mama team that they shoot 32.5% from the outside. It's on a mama team that they force a lot of seals right around six half per contest. They do an okay job down low with Nikhil Ruti being able to give you seven rebounds per game, but I did take a look at this spot. Having Reynolds a little bit banged up, coupled with Ryder really being able to come into their own, and Ryder doing a great job on defense. They have a lot of 67 points for fear and four of the last five games. The lone outlier is a game that wound up going to overtime, but you've also got a Mammoth team that they themselves haven't given up points recently as well. 70 plus and two out of their last three. I do think that this winds up coming down to late game following. They wind up setting it at a 137 half, so going over and set Mammoth as a seven half point favorite, so won't take the points as well. 873 874 on the betting board. Maris hits the road faceoff against Sienna. Sienna is finding themselves a one and a half point favorite. Your total on this game between 133 and 133 and a half. Set as a two point favorite. So want to lay a one and a half here. At two, I would still be willing to lay with Sienna because I do think that Sienna is going to be able to execute a little bit more late game. And Maris, they just seem a little bit disjointed. 9.2 assists per game. That's one of the bottom marks in all of college basketball. Now with this Maris team, they shoot 34.5% from three point range. You've got one of the best three point shooters among qualifying scorers in J.O. Ituka, who's been able to give you 15 and a half points per game. On the road, shoots 43% from three at home. North of 50% from three-point range. 20 plus points before the last five games. Ricardo Wright is able to give you 14 and a half points per game as well. Then you take a look down low and Van Hermesy, the only guy that's really able to give you five rebounds per game. Victor Eno is able to give you a little bit of something as well, but I think that Sienna should be able to exploit that because you've got Jackson Stormo coupled with Anthony Gaines giving you a combined 22 points, 14 rebounds. Gaines has some versatility. Doesn't necessarily shoot it well from three, but he's able to give you a steal per game. And then Kobe Rogers. He has come in from Cal Poly. He's able to shoot 42% from three, 87% the charity strike, 14 and a half points per game. Nick Hopkins is a good sharp shooter as well. He's able to give you 1.7 steals per game. He shoots 40% from three power range. Sienna's all 13 turnovers per game. That's a little bit unsightly, but I do think that they're going to be able to take a little bit of better care of the ball than this Maris team. And they also do a better job of being able to guard the interior as well. So I'm willing to lay up to a DC here with Sienna. When it comes to this total, I did wind up setting it at 134. Neither of these teams are blazers, but at the same time, both of these teams are a little bit faster than what they've been in past years. And when it comes to Maris, this is a defense that they're a little bit all over the place at 141st with the guards points a lot on a per possession basis. So going over, I want to lay with Sienna. 875, 876 on the main board. Brown is going to be playing us a Brentston. What can Brown do for you? Well, if they wind up winning outright, they're going to be able to make you some money as they're between a one and one and a half point underdog to all this game. And between 144 and 145.5 with Brown, I did wind up making them a two point underdog with Princeton. I have been highly impressed by this team all season long. They've been one of the top teams to the overall of college basketball. And a big reason why is because you've got a lot of sharpshooters on this team. Jalen Llewellyn has been able to give you a little bit over 15 points per game. East Bearhead's a team that has been able to shoot as a collective 38.2% from three-point range. Llewellyn, 39% himself. And you take a look at this Princeton team among your top five scores. Four of them shoot at least 38% from three-point range. You've got one guy that really does a great job of being able to dish out the ball, and that would be Mr. Tucson Eva Booman, who has been able to do a great job as a six-foot eight combo player. 15 points, six boards, five assists. He was out of the fold for this team for a little bit, so you do want to be noting that he was dealing with a little bit of ailment, but he should be good to go in this one. And then for Brown, you do have Tammany Cho, who's been able to give you 14 points, 8 boards, 2.5 assists. Does only shoot about 26% for 3-point range, so that's a little bit of a knock on him. And turnovers, that has been bad. 3-plus turnovers in each of the last 4 games for the team. Ethan Wright on the flip side for Princeton shoots over 50% from the floor, 40% from 3-point range. In road games, he shoots 44% from distance with 18.5 points per game. It's a Brown team that they started out the year playing solid defense. They were playing very slow. They have 
bumped up their tempo a little bit, and it hasn't made them any better. This is a Brown team that all of a sudden they're starting to get bludgeoned as they are outside the top 150 with regards points allowed on a per possession basis. Princeton has had their hits and misses as well, but for Brown, they only shoot about 31.8% from three point range. Kino, Lily Jr., Paxson, Wojcik, they combined to be able to give you 23.5 points per game. Lily is able to shoot 40% from three point range, but was expecting a little bit more out of Nana Usu Owane, who winds up coming in from the country of Canada. Actually played in the FIBA under 19 event and it's given the team two points of fear in four of the last five games. So I'm willing to lay up to a deuce here with Princeton. When it comes to Subtle, I did wind him sending it at a 146. I do think that you wind up getting late game fouling and Princeton just been so good with their three point shooting. So willing to lay the points and we'll take a look at the Subtle over 877, 878 on the bank Fairfield is going to be playing us the St. Peter's. The Peacocks are finding themselves as a little bit of an underdog here, anywhere between a pick and actually finding them now as a one and a half point favorite in a book as well. Your total on this game, you're going to be finding it anywhere between a 124 and a half and a 125. I personally want to make it say Peter's an underdog, so that's why I was a little bit confused because I'm willing to lay up to three here. When it comes to the stags with Fairfield, I've been very encouraged by what I've seen out of this team this season. They are going to have the best low post player in this game that doesn't necessarily block shots in Supreme Cook. Casey Undefu is the best shot blocker. He's been able to give this St. Peter's team right in the neighborhood about 2.7 blocks per game. He's able to haul in there a few rebounds with Sonny Drama, actually the better rebounder for the St. Peter's team. Seven and a half points, seven boards per game, but with Supreme Cook for this Fairfield team, a little bit over eight boards per game. He's able to chip in there right around 10 points per contest. And then you take a look at Taj Benning along Jake Wojcik. These two guys combined to be able to give you 21 and a half points per game. They combine for four and a half assists. And you got both of these gentlemen shooting above 82% of the free line with Wojcik making 35% of his threes. Fairfield as a whole, they turn the ball over just 11 times per game. They shoot 34.7% from distance with guys like Asus Cruz, coupled with Caleb Green being able to help dish out the ball. That does make things very efficient. And for St. Peter's, the bugaboo for the team, turnovers. 14.4 per contest. Now, this is not a fair field team that they're going to go out and get a bunch of seals while you do have a St. Peter's team that they generate right around 7.7 per contest. Undefu, I mentioned a little bit earlier, can see 1.4 seals per game. You've also got a guy in Daryl Banks, the third, who's shooting 40% from three, 89% free throw line, 11 points, seal per game. Doesn't necessarily do a lot down though. You do have Doug Eggert. He's been able to do a good job with Matthew Lee of being able to combine for right around 15 points per contest. Both of these gentlemen aren't necessarily going to be getting a lot of swipes, but Lee, he's able to shoot about 35.5% from three. Edgar, 45% from three for a St. Peter's team that they do shoot 36% from the outside, but it is a St. Peter's team that they are a little bit of an all-or-nothing defense. They are a team that they are really looking to take the air out of the ball. Meanwhile, Fairfield has been a relatively well-knit and solid group. They're a team that they have been actually playing a little bit worse at home than they have been on the road, but I do think that you're going to see a little bit of a reversal here. I'm going to take this Fairfield team as a pick slash a very slight underdog. And when it comes to Soto, did why I'm saying that at 127, I do think that you wind up getting a little bit of late game falling to push the total over. So, laying the points to take a look at the over. 879, 880 on the betting board. Harvard is going to be playing us to Columbia. Columbia, a 14 and a half to a 15 point underdog. Till this game is 142 and a half. When it comes to Harvard, I wound up saying them as a 16 and a half point favorite. It has been a little bit brutal for this team because you have been dealing with some injuries, most notably to Chris Ludlum, but Noah Kirkwood is still able to headline this team with 17 points. He's able to chip in there, five and a half boards, two steals. Doesn't necessarily shoot a great from three. Harvard as a collective. They shoot 33.8% from distance, but you know what? They're placing off against a Columbia team that they are doing anything but doing a great job on defense. Among 358 D1 teams, they rank 349th. Boy, oh boy, these guys have been cataclysmically bad. It's not like Harvard is necessarily the world's 
biggest stalwart on defense, but they're more around 137th. And for Columbia, it's actually not a terrible offense, I will say. They do need it. Their free throws, as this is a team that has a collective at the free throw line. They're shooting right around 62%, but they do shoot 37% for three. Ike is back at the fold. He's able to give you 16.6 boards for game. Patrick Harding said a good job with right around eight rebounds per game for the gentleman that comes in for Brian. Geronimo Ruby De La Rosa has been able to do a solid job of being able to give out the ball with this team. Three and a half assists, 34% three-point shooter. Problem is he does turn the ball over right around two and a half times for contest. Columbia, they do turn the ball over 15 times per game as a collective. You've got Liam Murphy being able to pop a couple threes, 11 points, five rebounds per game. And then you take a look at what you've been able to get recently out of Lucas Sakota. He's been able to do a solid job for Harvard. He shoots 40% from three-point range, 12 plus points in four of the team's last five games. Has been able to generate about six steals in the last four games as well. Kale Catchings is able to give you eight points, four boards, shoots 39% from three. So I do think that Harvard being able to generate eight steals, they're going to be able to play right into the kryptonite of Columbia. I think that they're going to be able to run up the score in this one. Harvard in the top one with regards to possessions per game. Columbia more around 100th exactly. So made Harvard a 16.5 point favorite. One later. Also made my total 115.5. So going to be taking a look at the over. 881-882 on the betting board. You've got Ohio in the road faceoff against Kent State. Kent State is finding themselves as a one point favorite. And your total last game is a working 134.5 and 135.5 on a making Ohio 3.5 point favorite. So we're going to be taking a look at the Bobcats on the money line. When it comes to this Ohio bunch, you've got a team that has been able to do a relatively solid job down low as you've got a pair of guys in Ben Venderplaz, coupled with Jason Preston, who have been able to combine for just under 13.5 rebounds per game for Ohio. Gotta love the fact that Mark Sears has been able to headline this offense with 20 points, 5.5 boards, 4 assists, shooting 42% from 3 point range Ohio as a whole. They shoot 74% the charity stripe, 34.5% from 3, just 10.7 steals per game, while they generate 8 steals per game. With Carter and Vanderplas, they combine to be able to give you 3 steals per contest. Ben Roderick has been a little bit banged up, but he's back in the fold. He's able to give the team 7.5 points, 3.5 rebounds per game. Not a guy that's going to light it up from 3 point range, but ever since he's come back, 4 plus boards in each of the last 3 games. Then you take a look at Kent State, and it's a team that they rank at the bottom one with regards to possessions per game, but they've been able to pick it up with their offense. They shoot it very well at the free throw line, 75% as each of your top 3 scores. Shoot at least 77% that's Charity Stripes and Sincere Carey. Sincerely going to be the best player on the floor. 18 points, 4.6 boards, 4.6 assists. Shoots 35% from 3 point range. Justin Hamilton, he is someone that stands right around 6 foot 10. He's able to give you 8.5 points, 6.5 rebounds per game. Giovanni Santiago is able to shoot 36% from 3. Actually started out very ice cold for 3 point range at home. He's now shooting about 39% from distance. 94% at the free line. 15 plus points in 3 of the team's last 4 games. So he has certainly been able to heat up with Kent State though. It is a team that sometimes it's a little bit of a defense optional approach. And with Ohio, this has been a team that has been relatively stout with regards to the defensive side of things. Being able to generate turnovers has them in the top 75 with regards to points allowed on a per possession basis. And for Ohio, they actually allow right around 7 points per 100 possessions basis fewer on the road than they do at home. Meanwhile, Kent State is relatively even for them. So, I do mind saying this all at 137.5. I do think that Ohio is going to be able to put it up, and I do think that this comes down to late game falling of both of these guys. Solid at the free throw line. So, taking a look at the over. And with Ohio, made them the 3.5 point favorite. So, taking a look at the Bobcats on the money line. 883, 884 on the betting board. VCU is going to be playing us our Richmond, the Itsy Bitsy Spiders. Between 2 and 2.5 and point underdogs. So, on this game, and between 130.5 and, and 131. I'm saying my total at a 128.5. You've got a VCU team that They've been able to do an absolutely supreme job of being able to get turnovers. They rank in the top 15 in all of college basketball with regards to turnovers for a per possession basis. It's a good old something's got to give scenario because you've got a VCU team that's tremendous on defense, but they lack a little bit of something on offense. Meanwhile, Richmond, they're a top 40 team with regards to points scored on a per possession basis, but they're outside the top 170 with regards to points a lot on a per possession basis. you got Grant Golden coupled with Tyler Burton, who will be able to give you a combined about 32 points, 14 rebounds per game, and both of these big men have been able to shoot it well from three-point range. Burton, the the best at 38.5% for three, but Golden also gives you 
assists per game. Jacob Gillier, the all-time NCAA leader in steals per game, 12.5 points. He's been able to give you 6.2 assists, 3 steals per game. Overall, Richmond, they turn the ball over just 8.9 times per game. They do generate right around 8.5 steals per game, but VCU, they do a good job of being able to take it away. 9.3 steals per contest. They shoot as a collective 35% for 3 with Ace Baldwin coming in. And ever since he's come back into the fold, out of his 16 games, I believe 11 have went over the total. He shoots 47% from distance, gives you 2.9 steals per game, 5.5 assists, 10.5 points per game. He has really been able to light it up. When these two teams wanted facing off the first time, it was a relatively low-scoring battle. VCU was able to go on the road. They knock off Richmond. New Richmond and VCU, by the way, out there in the same city of Richmond. That was a 64-62 game and a game of which you wound up having VCU shoot a little bit over 50% from the floor. It was a sloppy game. It combined 32 turnovers for both of these two teams. I do think that you're going to see something very similar in this game. I do think that VCU has a little bit of an X-factor out there in the backcourt. And Keyshawn Curry has been able to give you 10.5 points per contest. You take a look at his game. 11 plus points in each out of the last four contests. Now, he does turn the ball over a little bit as well. Both of these teams, they do a good job of being able to generate swipes. I think that Vince Williams Jr. being able to give this VCU team six boards, 13 points per game, shooting 39% from three, and coming off of an injury, looking very solid, 16 plus points in four out of the last five games, is going to allow VCU to be able to cover this number. Set VCU as a four and a half point favorite, so one will lay. Set my total of 120 and a half as well. So diving under 885, 886 on the betting board. You've got Dartmouth, and they're going to be playing us to Cornell. Cornell is going to be finding themselves as a very slight underdog of one point total on this game is 143.5. When it comes to Cornell, wind up setting them as a two and a half point favorite. I'm going to be taking a look at Cornell on the money line. When it comes to Dartmouth, there's just not a lot of trusting this team. They do play a very slow and methodical pace. They're just not necessarily very good on defense because you've got one guy in Aaron Ray who's been able to do a solid job on the glass for this team. He's been able to give you just under seven boards, 11.5 points per game. Really, you don't get a whole heck of a lot out of anyone else. I will say, Dame Adekun has been able to give you right around six rebounds per game. He's been able to come through a little bit more for this team with six plus boards in four out of the last five games but certainly I do think that this is a Dartmouth theme that they are going to have a little bit of a tough time on defense. They do shoot for Dartmouth's credit 77% at the free line. but then you take a look at the flip side for this Cornell team. They are a team that they are looking to gun it. Defense has been relatively optional for them as Cornell 267th in the country with regards points a lot on a per possession basis but Dartmouth is 269th and Dartmouth they are not necessarily looking to play at a very breakneck pace for Cornell. It has been a whole is greater than the sum of its parts approach for this team. You don't have a single guy that gives you more than 11 point three points per game. That main guy has been Jordan Jones, a guy that wanted missing quite a bit of the season, but has been able to do a good job of being well-rounded for this team. He's able to give you a few rebounds for this team. Has recently been able to give you a couple steals per game as well. Cornell, they do generate seven and a half swipes per game. They do turn the ball over 14.7 times per game, but this is a Dartmouth theme that they are not seeking a bunch of seals. They get right around 6.3 for contests, and with Cornell, you've got to love what you've been able to get out of the backcourt. And Keller Boothby, he's a six foot seven combo player, nine points per game. She's 50% from three-point range, 44% from distance on the road. I think that his three-point shooting is going to be a little bit of an X-factor in this game for Cornell. They've been one of the top over teams in all of college basketball. They've been a top five team against the spread, so I think that they keep it going. Set Cornell as a two-and-a-half point favorite, taking them on the money line. Made this total 144-and-a-half. Still looking at the over 887-888 on the betting board. Mississippi State is going to be playing us in Missouri. Missouri is finding themselves a 10-and-a-half point underdog. Total on this game is anywhere between 134 and 134-and-a-half. Set by total at 137. I'm willing to go over. You do have a Mississippi State team that they do rank in the bottom 85 with regards to possessions per game. We got a more mid-tempo Missouri team, but when it comes to Missouri, 
It's just hard to have a lot of faith in this team. With Missouri, they did wind up playing an under in their game against Arkansas, but that's only because Arkansas just wound up not playing offense for much of the second half, and it wasn't necessarily because of great defense. They just wound up completely losing themselves, for lack of a better term. When it comes to this Missouri team, in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis, this is a team that they rank 261st at Mississippi State. They rank right around 125th. Mississippi State should be able to take this Missouri team to task down, though. You've got Tolu Smith coupled with Garrison Brooks. They're able to combine for about 33 points, 12 and a half rebounds. Got Brooks shooting 35% per three. Mississippi State as a whole, they only shoot about 32% per three. If you watch your game, you can tell Alabama the defense was very sloppy. The offense was very sloppy, but DJ turned it up. Jeffries able to give you 10 points, 5 boards per game. And speaking of sloppy play, I bring you Missouri, a team that has one guy that's able to give you more than 10 points per game, Kobe Brown. 12 and a half points, 8 boards. He only shoots 20% per three. Missouri as a collective, they rank in the bottom 30 with your three point shooting percentage at 28.5%. You have Amari Davis along jail. Pickett both giving you between 9.9 and 10 points per game, but you don't really get a lot of facilitation with this team. They turn the ball over 14 times for contest with Mississippi State being able to generate 8 seals per game that plays right into their hands. Iverson Molinar has been able to give you 18.5 points per game, 3 point shooting down with them, but you do have a guy in Shaquille Moore who has been exactly what Rocket Watts was supposed to be for this program as he's come in, he's been able to give the team 9 points to assist, stealing that per contest, shooting 35% per 3. Mississippi State, they do shoot about 72.5% at the free line. I do think that Mississippi State is going to turn defense into offense at Mississippi State as a 12-point favor. Won't delay it. Set this total at 137 as well. So looking at the over 889, 890 on the bank where Cleveland State. It's road face-off against UW-Milwaukee. Milwaukee is finding themselves at 6.5-point underdog. 12 is anywhere between 137.5 and 138. I'm saying my total at a 137. You've got a Cleveland State team that they've been playing relatively up-tempo and it's a UW-Milwaukee team that I do think that they're going to look to go a little bit faster. They wound up having success with that last season. This season, they do rank in the bottom 125 with regards to possessions per game in UW-Milwaukee. Once again, dealing with injuries to Pat Baldwin. Pat Baldwin wound up last taking the floor about two weeks ago on February 9th, so if he does wind up playing, he's probably going to continue to be what he's been all season long. A guy that shoots 27% from three with 12 points per game. DeAndre Golson, 15 points, four boards. He's been able to shoot about 78% at the free line. UW-Milwaukee's hole. They shoot 73% at the charity stripe, but they do turn the ball over 13 times per game. This is just a team that they really don't have a lot of discipline. They're very badly coached, and when it comes to this UW-Milwaukee team with regards to points allowed on a per-possession basis, they are 255th in all of college basketball. It's a Cleveland State team that they generate about 8.5 seals per game. Cleveland State has been able to do a much better job at home than they have been on the road, giving up about 10.5 points more per 100 possessions on the road, but UW-Milwaukee, I just don't think that they're going to be able to execute out of a newbie. Does shoot 38% for three, but then you take a look at Torrey Penn combined with Demoya Hodge. These two guys combined for 3.7 steals. They combined to be able to give you 30.5 points per game, and Hodge has been able to shoot about 35.5% from distance. Now, you've got Cleveland State coming off of that triple overtime game, in which it might have been the most fundamentally unsound game I've ever seen before in my life, but you do also have a guy, Deontay Johnson, who should be able to control things on those six half rebounds per game. Now, Joey St. Pierre for this UW-Milwaukee team, 5.4 points, 5.5 boards. He is able to give you a block and a half for contest, so that is a little bit of a redeeming sign for UW-Milwaukee, and I don't think that UW-Milwaukee is going to get crushed by any stretch of the imagination. When it comes to Cleveland State, this is a team that they've got their warts themselves. It's a Cleveland State bunch in which they are shooting from the free throw line, and one of the worst marks in all of college basketball at 65.9%. They themselves turn the ball over 13 and a half times per game. I do think that Cleveland State gets the job done, but I want to setting this line at five because Cleveland State hasn't been the same on the road. Won't take six and a half here. When it comes to UW-Milwaukee, made this total 137, so diving under as well. 891, 892 on the bank board. IPFW, AK Fort Wayne. It's a road face off against UW-Green Bay. UW-Green Bay find themselves a five and a half point underdog. Totals any more team. 130 and 130 and a half. Set this total at 129 and a half. You've got a UW-Green Bay team that ranks in the bottom 30 with regards to possessions 
defense per game and an IPFW team that are not necessarily great on defense but this is a team that they could bomb it from three-point range they shoot about 36 percent from distance Jared Goffrey coupled with Jalen Pipkins and we will give you a combined 29 points per game they combined to be able to give you about three and a half seals per game and Fort Wayne they do generate nine seals per contest this is a UW Green Bay team that they are all sorts of banged up right now you've been without Donovan Ivory for quite a while so that means that you've had to look to Emmanuel Asung coupled with Kamari McGee to be able to headline the offense these two guys combined to be able to give you about 21.7 points per game neither of these guys shoot above 28 percent from three-point range as a collective UW Green Bay in the bottom 15 in all of college basketball 27.7 percent three-point shooting and though this UW Green Bay team plays very slow they're 300th in the country with regards to points allowed on a per possession basis so that's not necessarily too terrific IPFW they've actually been average with regards to the NCAA landscape so nothing great nothing terrible they've been a little bit less efficient on the road but I just don't think that UW Green Bay is going to be able to exploit that in any way possible you've had Nate Jenkins be able to give you six points per contest but he's been in and out of the fold he's a guy that has been very selective with when he wants to be able to bust out and for IPFW I think that they should be able to win things down low because you do have Ari Kapadia who's been able to do a solid job being able to give you 6.3 rebounds coupled with about eight and a half points per game and right now Manuel Asa only guy for Green Bay giving you more than five rebounds per game it's just been a bad bad situation for the Phoenix I did wind up setting Fort Wayne as a result as six and a half point favorite one late here said the total 129 and a half so diving under 893 894 on the bank board Oakland is going to be playing us a right state right state hopes to be the right side as between a three and a half and a four point underdog total is anywhere team 147 and a half seeing his eyes at 149 and when it comes to the spot I wound up saying Oakland as a seven point favorite Oakland is not a team that's going to be able to light it up from three point range but what this team does is the little things very well as you've got Jamal Kane who is very able to headline this team with 20 and a half points 10 rebounds per game you've got an Oakland team that they only shoot about 30 percent from three but 79 and a half percent at the free line they generate 8.7 seals per game with each of your top four scores giving you at least 1.5 seals per game Trey Townsend Micah Parrish these guys combined to be able to give you 25.8 points per game a little bit over 12 boards both of these guys give you a seal and a half per game and then Jalen Moore eight assists per game two steals per contest he has been absolutely amazing now you take a look at the last time these two teams wound up playing it was Wright State who was able to get the job done against Oakland by a count of 75 to 64 a game in which Oakland was looking relatively solid and then they just wound up having this thing go completely down the toilet bowl as Wright State wound up closing the game on a 16 to 3 run in the final seven or so minutes I don't think that Wright State is going to be able to duplicate that now with Wright State this is a team that they're much better on offense now they're back in the top one with regards to points scored on a per possession basis Trey Calvin a couple with 10 Holden. These two guys combined to shoot about 36.5% from three-point range. Holden 20.7 boards, nearly three assists, and 1.2 steals per game. Kelvin more like 14 points and about three rebounds per game. And then Tim Fiki has been able to come through. He's been able to get the team in and out points per game. Grant Pazil has been not good from three-point range, but he is able to shoot about 77.5% the charity stripe as a whole. Right state, they shoot 77% at the free line. They're able to give you right around 18 points per game. So he's been able to do a solid job there. But when it comes to Oakland, this has been a team that in recent years has been really bad on defense this year they have really been able to kick that thing up a little bit more they're more on we're in 35th with regards to points allowed on a per possession basis and this is a right state team that they do have some holes with their defense they rank outside the top 225 and with right state they do a good job of being able to guard the perimeter not so much inside they're in the bottom one with regards to opponents two-point shooting percentage oakland should be able to exploit that said oakland as a seven-point favorite as a result did want to make it my total 147 half now that we've seen the move up to 149 won't take the under along with oakland and wrap things up with 890 896 on the main board. Maryland, it's a road face-off against Nebraska. Nebraska is a one and a half point underdog. Toronto's game is 145 and a half. This is the DK Nation pick, and we're going with Maryland. I wound up saying them as a five-point favorite. Nebraska is a team that ranks in the top 20 with regards to possessions per game, but they really don't do anything great. They allow opponents to get nearly 30% of their missed shots rebounded. That is one of the bottom marks out there in all of college basketball. Maryland, they don't necessarily do a stellar job on the glass.
lines, but at the same time, you do have guys who are able to put the ball in the basket. Kudas Wahab along Julian Reese. It's been very interesting to see what you've been able to get down low out of this Maryland team, but what you do know is that you're going to be able to get some guards are able to do a solid job of being able to put the ball in the basket because they do as a collective shoot at the free throw line right around 75%. Nebraska, meanwhile, they're in the bottom 125 with regards to free throw shooting percentage. Fast Russell has been able to give you right around four assists and a steal per contest. Now, Maryland, they're a team that they do a good job of not turning the ball over too much. 12 times per contest. Meanwhile, Lonzo Verge, ever since the beginning of the month of December, four turnovers per game. It is a Maryland bunch. They only shoot about 33% from three, but if you look at it on the road, they shoot more like 36% from three at home, more like 27. So that's a little bit of an interesting split. And when it comes to the Nebraska team, you do have back Trey McGowan, who's been able to give you right around six and a half points per game, but they shoot 30.7% from three-point range. They have no rebounding whatsoever. The home court advantage just has not been able to come through for this team. And then Eric Ayala being able to give you 15 points per game. I do think it's big. Bryce McGowan has been able to do a solid job for Nebraska. 16 and a half points, five boards per game. So he's got some versatility, but at the same time, he is on a Nebraska team that they don't surround him very well. And he's now giving the team six rebounds or fewer in each other last four games. So set the total at 150. I'm willing to go over. And with Maryland, they are my DK Nation pick. Willing to lay up to five with them. And that will wrap things up. For the Friday edition of Coast to Coast Soups, now part of the VEASAN family podcast. If you like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, Coast to Coast Soups, you're able to subscribe wherever you get your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you've got a question, comment, segment idea, what have you for this podcast, you've got one or two ways to be able to those in. First one is my Twitter timeline, at Sharon's 41. Keep in mind, letters CM, they mean does not matter. So as per usual, please do send these into the timeline and the other ways find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. And then from there, you're able to find whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five-star review. Good to be coming at you guys every single day throughout the college basketball season. That means I'm going to be coming at you guys once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.